How's it going? Nice to see you all. If we have not met, my name is Dan, and I feel somewhat exposed without a mask. But I'll get used to it. I will. And this morning, um, well, you may not have twigged. It took me a while, but this is the first Sunday in Advent. So we've got four more Sundays, and then it's Christmas. So I like Christmas, I'm excited, and we're kicking off our Advent Sermon series this week. And one of the pictures, because if you, like me, were told kind of the story of Christmas a few times and it involved lots of picture books, one of the pictures kind of etched in my mind is that of the shepherds hearing the news and multitudes of angels singing above. And that comes from Luke chapter 2. And uh, they were singing to announce the arrival of our Savior, singing glory to God in the highest. And this kind of scene is the inspiration for that carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which I'm not going to sing to you. But over the next four weeks, we're going to take kind of lyrics because... This hymn, Charles Wesley wrote, 1736, is packed full of theological truths, truths about who God is and what he's done for us. And so kind of each week we're going to rest on one of those lyrics and just kind of unpack it and look at some scriptures. And this week, I am going to do the line, God and sinners reconciled, which as... If you know the hymn, you're probably singing it. It's the fourth line. So, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. And we'll be shortly looking at 2 Corinthians 5. But I want to talk a little bit about reconciliation first. My son said, what is it? Simply, reconciliation is to take two enemies... Have them reconcile such that they then become friends. So they kind of go from enemies to being allies. That they're, uh, instead of being repelled, if you think of magnets repelling one another, they're attracted to one another. Instead of wanting to avoid one another in the room or avoid eye contact, they're wanting to make eye contact. They're wanting to be together. So reconciliation is much more than neutral tolerance and it's much more than indifference. Because our society is actually currently full of lots of divisions. So there's some very current divisions, whether we should be vaccinated or not, whether we should wear a mask or not, whether we should travel or not. And politically these are kind of playing out and it feels a little bit like left and right are separating. But there's also historical deep divisions around race, around gender. I was in a conversation um, with uh, some ladies in our church who are in IT, and they were saying that they feel their voice is so much quieter than their male counterparts. This is just one small but important illustration of some of the divisions that we currently live with. And it can seem that the polarization is getting bigger, the gaps are getting wider, and some of the issues seem so complex. Just even the biggest brains, the biggest hearts, haven't been able to solve them yet. And they go deep, 
you know, these divisions cause, they cause wars, they cause riots, they cause uh, schisms in our, in our relationships to bring it home from a societal level. And they cause interruptions, disruptions in our daily lives. Now, I think all of us would say, yeah, we want to be part of a church family that wants to see divisions come together. But there's a challenging question. Are we willing to participate in it for ourselves at a personal level in our own relationships? Because actually what Paul, the apostle, is writing in this letter to this church in Corinth is all about them and about their hearts. They were experiencing considerable divisions. And he's saying, look, I want you to find one another. I want you to reconcile and come together. And this is his second letter. He really wants them to get this issue because he covered it somewhat in the first letter as well. And he really wants them to unite. And in these verses, just four verses, but there's kind of a sandwich of persuasion which surrounds his instruction to them. So see if you can spot his request as we read the verses. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 21. It says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them and entrusting to us the, re- the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So there's some massive kind of claims about who Jesus is truth claims and then because they're so big there's obviously some big implications as to how we can live them out today truth claim number one is that we were unreconciled with God we were unreconciled with God we needed to be reconciled to God that actually we're all born wanting to go our own way with ourselves at the center and with no one else is a reference point, really. You know, we're kind of born, in a sense, completely antisocial. We have to teach our kids to learn how to share. As adults, we need... There's whole industries of relationship mediators, of judges, of police, of military that, you know, kind of help us as humans live together better because inherently we don't tend to. The drive towards ourselves... And is a drive away from God. And this is sin. And we all tend to play the lead character in the film of our lives. And we tend to see everyone else as supporting cast. Sin is antisocial. And uh, it causes a breakdown in relationships. And it alienates us from both God and each other. It's not that we all do lots of evil ourselves. I'm sure many of you aren't very evil people. But it's because we've exercised our free will to do our own thing. 
and that we're being kind of willfully ignorant of who God is and that he wants to be the main character in our lives. 1 Corinthians 1, which is another letter Paul writes to a church, it says, once you were alienated from God, you were like aliens. We were like aliens from who God is. And we were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. So once we were alienated from God. So I kind of want to pause and ask as a question, how God conscious are we in our day-to-day lives? How God conscious are we? I think we're here now beginning to think about it a little bit. Maybe you didn't plan on being here this morning. Maybe you're not, you wouldn't call yourself a Christ follower and you're still wanting to explore the claims and teachings of Christ. And if you're here and you're exploring, I want to say, well done. This is a massive step. It's a brave step. And maybe you're not even sure if God exists or that he cares, that he's interested in how you live. I believe it. I believe the Bible teaches it, that there is a God who cares, that is interested in you. And there's an invitation to all of us, whether you're a Christ follower or whether you're exploring, to, the invitation is to recognize where it all started, that we offended God, but God still takes the initiative and he makes a way for us to reconcile with him. I want us to kind of agree on three steps of reconciliation. So step one would be, we have to recognize there was an offense, that things are broken, Step two then, which actually step one is kind of the easy one. You know, when, when you're unreconciled with someone, it's pretty easy for you to know why. Usually they've done something or maybe you don't know you're even unreconciled with them, but you sense something. Something's wrong. Number two is then to resolve or remove the offense. And that is the hardest step because that takes both parties coming together and talking and often acknowledging some blame and maybe changing behavior. Usually there's some forgiveness, apologies that need to be exercised. And then step three would be in order to stop the offense happening again is you have to repeat steps one and two because we're inherently kind of, we we turn inwards, we're selfish. And so we need to identify offenses, we need to resolve them, and then we need to repeat. And usually it costs us when we do this. But we need to start by admitting our sinfulness, that we were the cause of the offense, we were the cause of the unreconciliation with God and that we need to look for a way to resolve or remove the offense. And this takes us to Christmas. Because truth claim number two is that through Christ, this little baby born on earth, through what he then did, our sins can be forgiven. God didn't cause the alienation between himself and us. Therefore, he didn't have to reconcile himself to us. Yet in love, he does. He makes a way. We read in verse 19 um, that God doesn't count their sin against them. 
That's kind of a, an accounting idiom, that debit becomes a credit, which means it's a debit somewhere else. Verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. And this is kind of a sacrificial idiom. Two words, substitution and transference. I just hesitated because I wasn't sure which way around we were going to do it. Substitution and transference. This is what's going on with Jesus and our sin. So with substitution, our debt of sin was put onto him. Our sin put onto him. It wasn't cancelled, but he becomes a substitute. He gets to pay the debt. The debt of sin was death. That's what it says in Romans 6.23, another letter that Paul wrote, that the wages of sin are death. So if we have sin actually before God, death is what is appropriate. But, and I'm paraphrasing Martin Luther, he kind of says Christ, for the sake of all people, he became the greatest transgressor, the greatest sinner, the greatest murderer, adulterer, thief, rebel, blasphemer. He was the greatest one that could ever be in the world. That's what happened when Jesus takes our sin. This is substitution. Transference is that our sin having been put on him, his righteousness is then put on us. And Romans 6.23 continues, the wages of sin was death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, that Jesus takes our death and he gives us a gift. I want to illustrate this. Hadil, this is the moment. So, this is my sin. Hadil, for this illustration, is Jesus. Like Jesus in many ways. This is my sin. And I pass my sin to Jesus. That's, the, that's the, where she becomes kind of the substitute. But then she transfers righteousness back to me. And as a Christ follower, if you've acknowledged who Jesus is, that you need him, you've received his righteousness, and then you wear that forever, sin has gone. Thanks very much. We'll, we'll switch them back later. But, because I'm going to wear righteousness for the rest of my talk that is received. It's not something I could create or earn. It was given by Jesus. And this is what happens on the cross. And it changes how we stand before God. And this wasn't like a, a cheap reconciliation. This is a very expensive watch. But Jesus, what Jesus paid was much, much more. God doesn't make kind of a simple bookkeeping alteration, moving the charges, but he gives himself to us, for us. And the truth is that our hostility towards him, our sin, is what nailed Jesus to the cross. Our reconciliation cost Jesus his life. And it's only through Christ's perfect life, his death, and his resurrection 
that we can receive this righteousness that every part was necessary he had to live a perfect life otherwise the sacrifice wouldn't have been enough for everyone if Jesus had sinned he would have had to have died for his own sin but he didn't but if there was no resurrection he wouldn't then have had the power over death and sin and This wasn't necessary because God was angry and needed to be pacified. But it's because God is holy. And because his justice needs to be satisfied. So the cross is an act of God's grace. It's not to make him a God of grace. And we get to be recipients of that grace, of that righteousness. And we need to believe this. Acknowledging Jesus, who he is, recognizing his incredible life, death, and resurrection. So that was second truth claim. Truth claim number three, and this is astounding, is that we can be reconciled with God. We can become friends with God. And the point of the reconciliation is that God now kind of sees us differently. He sees us utterly, utterly differently, as though we never offended him, as though we never had sin, but we have righteousness now. Romans 5 verse 10 says, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son. Then how much more, having been reconciled, will be saved by his life? So we were enemies. His sin, our sin, caused us to be enemies and now because of his righteousness we get to be friends and the root meaning of the word reconcile here is to change or exchange and that's kind of literally what's happening you can picture armies who were fighting against each other they then become allies together we're now in a state of peace with God and no longer at war with him one theologian Derek Tidball says He puts it this way, it means not so much the absence of hostilities as the presence of positive harmony. So our lives, if you're a Christ follower and you believe these things, our life is completely different. Jesus says in John 15, 15 that he doesn't call us servants. We've moved from enemies. Jesus doesn't call us servants, but he calls us friends. We get to be friends with God. Reconciliation is the place from which right relationship flows and our well-being can grow. It stands for all the positive benefits of all the access to God we can have through Jesus Christ. And it means that we can have joy in our suffering. We can have perseverance in our difficulties. It means we can have transformation of character and firm and unshakable hope. So when we believe these truths, life starts afresh and has a richness even in the harshest of circumstances. When life gets tough, it can still be rich and precious. I've been reading a brilliant book by a lady called uh, Joni Erickson Tarder. And uh, she is now in her 70s. But when she was 17, she experienced an accident and is paralyzed from kind of the neck down. And she's written a book on suffering, which I would definitely recommend. And uh, you may get to see a picture of the cover. There we go. When God Weeps. 
when God weeps, would recommend that if you are going through any kind of suffering or you know someone who's going through suffering, this is a brilliant kind of theological exposition with lots and lots of stories and lived examples throughout. And one particular moment is when she meets, so she's in a wheelchair and she meets a fireman who's just lost his hands and he's feeling pretty sorry for himself. And she doesn't get out the Bible at that point, but simply kind of says that I'd rather be in this wheelchair knowing him than on my feet without him. She'd met Jesus, and though her circumstances were so tough, she knew she wouldn't swap him for anything. And this is living out a richness of life in the harshest of conditions. This is what being reconciled to God, how it changes everything. And we receive this by faith. Truth claim number four, we get to tell others. Those verses we read say that we're now ambassadors for Christ that this whole thing is bigger than just us, that we don't kind of get to have just a personal, private faith. We do have to make an individual, private kind of act of repentance before God. That's important, but it was never meant to be a faith that we kept to ourselves. God's reconciling the world to himself, and he's doing it through us. And as well as reconciling the world, us to him, and the world to him, he's reconciling us to one another as well. And it struck me that this is a, a, a one-to-many reconciliation, not a one-to-one. It's not just me to God, because actually God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so we're reconciled to the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. And that is kind of the pattern of what God then does through us to one another. It's a one-to-many reconciliation. And actually, as we're kind of reconciled vertically, we then get reconciled horizontally. All our kind of negative reactions to one another on a horizontal are because we're not believing something or we're believing a lie, an untruth in the vertical. So when I get stingy, when I don't want to be generous to others, it's because I'm not believing that God is my provider. When I get grumpy with my kids, it's because I've forgotten quite how much God loves me. When I struggle to forgive others, it's because I've forgotten quite how much God has forgiven me. And it'll be different for each of us, but there'll always be an aspect of the vertical, our relationship with God that we're not believing that will flow out unhelpfully in our relationship with others. But the truth is that we are now ambassadors for him, that we get to represent him. And Paul's writing into the situation where the Romans at the time 
they would, uh, the Romans would uh, have different provinces and they would have imperial provinces and they'd put ambassadors in there because these imperial provinces were the ones where rebellions were likely to start. So the role of the ambassador is one of keeping the peace and of kind of avoiding rebellions. And this is part of the picture Paul wants the Corinthians to get and for us to get is that we're at, we've been at war with God. We've been at war with each other. We're in rebellion against him and by, ambassador, by being ambassadors for Christ, we get to bring reconciliation and peace. A theologian, David Garland, he uh, states it this way, and I really like this. He, say, he says, a minister of reconciliation plunges into the midst of human turmoil to bring harmony out of the chaos, Reconcili reconciliation out of estrangement and love in the place of hate. This is what we get to do as ambassadors of Christ. And this is a high calling and there, there are many ways we get to work this out. I've been talking about kind of the one big one which is get reconciled to God first and foremost and then secondly we get to we, we need to get reconciled with one another think now is there anyone that you're at war with maybe you're not driving tanks into their driveway but maybe when they enter the room you something inside you just gets a bit defensive I'm aware that it's a kind of a family occasions are coming up there's Sinterklaas, there's Christmas and awfully, often these can be fraught with, with tension due to unresolved family conflict what's a good step to take towards them it usually starts by getting our own hearts right first I definitely tend to assume that the problem is with the other person and I've had to learn, and God's been kind and gracious and keeps reminding me that the problem usually starts with me. Because God usually loves to start by changing our hearts. That's what he does when we recognize who he is. We've received infinite grace, which has recon reconciled us to him. Therefore, we address divisions from a place of deep humility. He exposes our pride, our self-righteousness, which my self-righteousness can come out when I'm cycling. When I see someone not cycling the way I think they should be cycling, all of a sudden I can become very self-righteous. It can become, it, my self-righteousness can come out in, in, in COVID. You know, I'm trying not to divide myself in any way, but... You know, there's times where it's right to wear a mask and times where you don't have to wear a mask. And, and when people get those wrong, I'm feeling like they're infringing on, my, on me. And I can get very self-righteous about that. Uh, and that's not very godly. We can get self-righteous about our doctrine, about what we think the Bible says. And we need to keep allowing God to kind of melt our hearts and show us because our view of others starts seeing people's dignity and respecting that they're also made in the image of God. 
And as we reconcile the vertical, we can begin to reconcile the horizontal. And this book is the vital, vital guide. So the third thing we can do is help reconcile others to God. We can speak out the gospel. We can live out the gospel. You know, my life is not perfect, but I know one who is. And I want to keep pointing to him that I can journey through life as, as a, a sinner forgiven, a sinner who is now made righteous. I don't need to be kind of in fear and defensive, but I know that I can live loved and welcomed in. And we get to share this friendship with others. Finally, we can help others to reconcile with each other. We can help deal with the divisions in society and in church. In Ephesians 2, it says that, that kind of everyone displays something of God's wisdom. In Paul's time, there was much division between the Jewish Christians and the Greek Christians, and, and Paul was calling them to reconcile. He was saying that no one ethnicity has superiority. It's a, the gospel, the message that we bring is one of ethnic equality in Jesus, and, and it goes beyond ethnicity as well, that God values everyone equally. You know, Jesus died equally for each one of us. So how does this apply? We don't simply minimize or pretend differences aren't there. In some cases, differences are part of the beautiful design that God's given us. Differences in gender and culture, they're gifts to enrich our society. Yet in reality, some of the differences are asymmetrical and they mask differences in power. And to ignore them can be hurtful, particularly to those at the receiving end of injustice. So it's important to acknowledge issues, address them in love. And this doesn't mean that we all have to be the same or we're condoning or turning a blind eye if the Bible says something is wrong. But it's important to work out what we think is right and true. And we need to listen. And we do this confidently, but humbly. We don't need to avoid each other. We can have frank conversations and we can seek to bring change where there's injustice but we do it from a place of love, of patience, because it takes time. We can be the first ones to initiate, to reconcile. We can actively seek reconciliation by being kind of relational bridge builders. We need to think about how we as individuals and as a community can help to bring reconciliation between different polarized sides in our communities. Maybe the gentlemen in IT and the ladies in IT be good for them to have a conversation. God's approach to bridge building is to build the bridge himself. That was Jesus. So that we can then reach God. We can help reach others too. We can create spaces and moments where people can meet, unite, understand each other, learn from each other. Forgiveness is key here the kind of the, the language of allyship and um, of listening and learning is really helpful but it only gets us halfway that we need to see relationships in order to see relationships fully reconciled and restored there needs to be repentance of sin we need to acknowledge our wrong and then we need to forgive others how they've wronged us 
this can start by inviting people over for coffee. But we have this amazing role in helping kind of reunite society and reunite relationships. And this can feel like a a big thing and, and sometimes a big heavy thing. In Colossians 1, it says that God's reconciling all things on heaven and on earth. And we get to carry this hope of the world that this is something God's doing anyway, then we just get to come alongside it. That actually in our own strengths is not possible, but God's doing it. We may not see it in our lifetime, but he is doing it. And this is the hope that we get to bring. So I want to conclude that I said Paul kind of gave a bit of a persuasion sandwich around a request. And he does this because he wants to motivate them with the gospel. He wants to motivate them by saying, this is what Jesus has done for us. This is what Christ has done. He, in verse 18 and 19, he does this and then he gives the request in verse 20 and then says again, this is what Jesus has done in verse 21. And we too, you know, we live in a, a warring and a broken world that's not going to change anytime soon. But now we have a hope. And this is the hope of Christmas. This is why Jesus came. So that we can be forgiven. So that we can be reconciled. And so that we can help other, others reconcile amongst us as well. With him and with one another. We're going to go into communion very shortly, which is just a a kind of a practical outworking of this reconciliation we have. Can I invite you to stand? I'd love to pray for us. And then I will hand it over to Matt. Yeah, Father God, we're so grateful that you allowed your son to come to this earth at Christmas. That you... You enabled him and he lived a perfect life, died a perfect death so that our sin can be passed on to him and we can receive his righteousness. And that in his resurrection, he conquers death and he conquers sin so that we can live with this righteousness, confident that we are now friends of God. And I pray that these simple but profound truths would hit everyone's heart today, that we'd live differently We'd live with a hope. We'd live with an important message that we want to share with everyone. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.